My name is Jen Wilkin, and you're listening to Reclamation Worship. Jason Allen, host of Reclamation Worship, the podcast devoted to reclaiming a biblical view of worship for the church. Thank you so much for tuning in again to another episode of Reclamation Worship. Today's guest is Jen Wilkin. Jen is on staff at the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas, and I'm so thankful that she would take time out of her busy schedule to sit down and talk with me here on uh, the topic of Bible literacy. Bible literacy and worship. Jen is someone who I've known about for a while, uh, but I've recently uh, gotten to hear more of her heart on a podcast that she's a part of called Knowing Faith. It's a ministry of the Village Church, and I will link to that podcast as well as uh, some of her resources that she has written at reclamationworship.com. So head on over to reclamationworship.com. And check out the show notes for Jen's episode, as well as the show notes for the other episodes that have been recorded and released. All right, so let's head on over to the interview. I'm so thankful you would take the time to come and uh, be a guest on Reclamation Worship. Thank you so much for having me on. Tell us about your work at the Village Church, what you do there. Yeah, sure. My my official title is the Director of Classes and Curriculum in the Village Church Institute. So we are the adult Christian education arm at the Village Church, and I have responsibility for all of our adult classes. And so we write curriculum for them, and we train teachers and small group leaders because of the size of the village and currently the number of campuses that we have. It's kind of a big animal, and we want to keep everything kind of on the same page, and that is falls to me ultimately. So how did you land at the village? Uh, Okay. So 11 years ago, we moved to Dallas to be from Houston to be closer to family. Okay. And for the last six months, I had been on staff at my church in Houston as the women's ministry director for about five years. But then the last six months or so that we were there, we helped with a church plant. And I had never, I did not know it, but it was an Acts 29 church plant. I didn't know what Acts 29 was. And um, the pastor there knew we were going to be moving. And he said, uh, if I were moving to the Dallas area, I'd go to the Village Church. And we were like, well, listen, if it's not 10 minutes from our house, we're not going to consider it. We, you know, living in Houston, you're like, I'm driving 35 minutes to go to my neighborhood church. The traffic's so bad. Right. And so out uh, here, we moved to Flower Mound because that's where our family was. And I Googled the Village Church, and it was 10 minutes from our house. Oh, wow. And uh, we'd never heard of Matt Chandler. We didn't know anything about it. And we had actually said a lot of spicy things about how we would never be in a big church again. Uh, and right. so, uh, started attending and knew immediately we were, we were going to stay. Wow. So we've been there for 11 years. 11 years. Okay. How long has Matt been there? I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, I, think 16. I think 16 is what he said. Yeah. Okay. All right. And so yeah. ha- tell me about how the Lord saved you. I, gosh, I'm the worst Southern Baptist. Are you ready? <laughs> Let's hear it. Saved as a child, and I don't know when. So I'm just going to have to pray that what's happened in the intervening 45 years or so gives evidence that it's stuck. Right. Um, you know, I have a memory around five and a half of, of 
praying, but I don't know if that was, you know, asking um, the Lord to come into my heart, but I don't know if that was when it happened, right, you know? Right. So yeah. I, I'm one of those people who can say that I don't have a memory of a time where I didn't know the Lord. So I'm really grateful for that, but it makes for a lousy Southern Baptist. There's no date written in the Bible. And I would just, we better get that off the table up front. Okay. All right. We, we can live with that. Mine's very similar. So, uh, okay, good. All right. Yeah. yeah. So w- tell me about personal life, uh, married children. Yeah. I'm married to Jeff. We've been married for 25 years this past June and we have four. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, it, you know, don't congratulate me. It's been pretty easy. We really <laughs> like each other. So it feels great. like, we're like oh, wow, that, that went by, didn't it? <laughs> um, but we have four children and they're grown. The youngest just went off to college. So we have, um, Matt is 22. Mary-Kate is 21. Um, Matt's, Matt graduated from Texas A&M back in May, and he's now doing some graduate work in Pittsburgh. Okay. Be there for Mary-Kate is 21. She's a senior at Texas A&M. Flair is 20. She's a junior at Texas A&M. Wow. I, <laughs> see, a, I see a trend. Yeah. Calvin is 18, and he is a freshman at Texas A&M. So wow. They are all okay. Here. No UTers yeah, in so the bunch. Have, no, good heavens, no! Don't <laughs> that work. Yeah, yeah. So we, but you know, they they left. Calvin left in August, and Jeff and I had two weeks where we were like, "This is terrible." And oh. then on week three, we were like, "Yeah, this is not bad." And it's you can been do great it ever since. Wow. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I might need for you to talk to my wife and I next fall when our oldest goes off to school. So um, we're already crying. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be awful. So it's just the trauma. Yeah, but you'll be fine. Okay, probably. Okay, maybe Maybe. we'll we'll hope hope for the best. (laughs) Well, um, Jen, I uh, have a couple things that I really want to talk with you about today. Um, I uh, have really gotten to learn more of you and and learn more of your heart through the podcast that you're part of, uh, Knowing Faith, and so that's the ministry of your church. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Great. And so. I'd heard you talk about Bible literacy prior to your podcast, but I've really just been able to hear your heart on the podcast. And so I'm so thankful for that. And, and I was just hoping that you could talk a little bit about Bible literacy, what it is, your passion behind it, and, um, and maybe how you work for uh, that cause at the village. Yeah. Um, when I was growing up, my parents divorced when I was about eight and my mother became a single woman in the church, which is a tough role. Mm-hmm. And she consequently moved around from church to church, kind of looking for, you know, one where she was, she fit. And um, so that meant that I spent time between attending church with my mom and attending church with my dad. I spent time in about seven different denominations by the time I grew to adulthood. Wow. And what I began to realize was that in every church I went to, someone was standing behind a pulpit teaching from the same book, but they weren't all saying the same thing. Mm. And uh, I began to grow in a conviction that unless, unless we had firsthand knowledge of the text, we could not discern between what was good teaching and what was bad teaching, or more importantly, between what was false teaching and what was true teaching. Okay. And, um, and then ended up in college getting an English degree. And uh, I remember thinking, well, I'm not going to be able to do anything useful with an English degree. I just love English. Uh, but so I better get a business degree, too. So that's what I ended up doing. But I had okay. always loved English. And then I, so the irony of my life is that I actually am using my English degree after I said <laughs> math. Things, but 
Uh, and, um, but, you know, I, I was reading literature and learning um, how to think critically about a text and how to read it according to its genre and all of these just basic literacy skills. Mm-hmm. And then I kept thinking about the Bible and thinking, why is it that we don't treat the Bible like this? We mm-hmm. treat the Bible like it's magical or mystical or like because God is revealed in it and he wants us to know him, then it will just sort of flop out information to us on whatever mm. terms we come to it. Right. But the Bible's a book. You know, I mean, it's certainly more than a book, but it is at least a book. Mm-hmm. And I began to ask some questions about why is it that we don't treat the Bible with the same level of respect that we would give to just the works of Shakespeare or an algebra textbook, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we tend to treat the Bible in ways that we would not treat any other book. You would right. never down in an algebra class and flip to chapter five and read a paragraph out of the middle of it and ask how it would change your life. Right. And repeat that process, you know, over a period of six months or a year. But that's exactly what we do with the Bible, many of us. So um, that paragraph on coffee mugs also. Yeah, for sure. Or Instagram. So we, we ended up, I ended up getting into this position as women's ministry director at my previous church. And that was when my heart began to break for the state of Christian resources and specifically those that were available to women, because my responsibility is a fairly large church. Mm. My responsibility was to vet the curricula that were being used in anywhere between 12 and 14 classes a semester. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was so sad. It was the curricula, the, I mean, I call, I'm saying curricula, they were, you know, anything from a book to uh, something vaguely styled after a workbook to a journaling project or whatever. Um, and it was almost all devotional in nature or topical in nature. And it was much of it was, frankly, was infantilizing. It treated women as though they were not capable of having mm. a thought level interaction with right. what they were doing. Okay. So uh, not seeing something that I could, that was doing what I wanted it to do, I started to write my own stuff. Okay. And out of that, sort of developed some convictions around what makes for building um, uh, just a, a comprehensive knowledge of the Bible as a base for being able to discern, you know, interpretation and application. So I, I think for someone new to this conversation, they could certainly understand what the Bible is and what literacy is. But when you put those two words together, um, what does that mean uh, for the church? What, what is Bible literacy? Yeah, Bible literacy, the most simple definition would be that you own or you have access to a copy of the text in a language in which you are fluent and you are growing toward understanding of what it says. And uh, so there's a lot, there's more to that, right? I mean, it's not because what you mean by understanding is something that people need to think through. We have been so conditioned to think that we come to the Bible and we read it and we assign a meaning to the text that fits with our experience or with our current situation. And again, a literacy, uh, a literate reading of the Bible is not asking what the text means to me. It's Mm -hmm. asking what the text means Mm -hmm. and then working to find how to apply it. And so um, Mm. those were some of the things that were sort of burning a hole in me was that we had a highly devotional approach to the scriptures. And I'm not actually not digging on devotional material. There's some excellent devotional material out there, but when it becomes your exclusive intake, or when topical studies become your exclusive intake, you're um, you're only going to go to certain parts of the Bible. You know yeah. that was the other 
became apparent, especially with women's resources, is that we had certain parts of the Bible we loved to go to, the ones that gave comfort or encouragement, but no one was doing a 10-day devotional on Leviticus, right? Right. That was a curious thing, because if, if Scripture is all God-breathed and profitable, mm. then why were we spending time only in parts of it? Right. Yeah, so I'm... Uh answering that question in the sermon that I'm preparing for Sunday, we're, we're finishing up Titus and you look at the farewell to this letter and uh, the last four verses. And, and I think someone, and the reason I'm spending time in the sermon answering this question is because I can think that someone would say, why are we devoting 30 to 40 minutes talking about the farewell of a letter? And yeah. uh, if we see that as anything less than being God breathed, then yeah, we're going to ask that question. Like what, what could this possibly have for me? How could this possibly be relevant to my life? Right. Right. And it's been so fun. um, You know, now that I'm finally in a place where I'm teaching through entire books of the Bible, we're going basically line by line. uh, The funniest things will happen that would never have happened in any women's ministry context ever. Like we just ended our semester in first Samuel. And so basically Saul fell on his sword and they tacked him to a wall. You know, the Philistines tacked him to a wall headless. Uh And then the men of Jabesh Gilead pulled him down, burned him and buried him. And I said, have a happy holiday and we'll see you in January. (laughs) It was like, let's have cookies. I mean, it was just the funniest thing. Right. It's such a good exercise because we began to realize just as we were preparing the lesson and teaching through it, it's like, that's actually more a picture of how life works is that we don't get plot resolution when we want it. And so those women have to live in the already not yet of the story of David and, and Saul wow. for all yeah. of Christmas. Them are living in, in the tension of an unresolved, difficult circumstance, wondering if God is truly sovereign. Mm, yeah. And so you, you learn such a different set of things when you're taking the Bible on its own terms yeah. than when you're it into neat pieces and packaging it so it ends at just the right place um, to yield some emotional um, reward. Wow. Yeah. Great point. That's so good. Um, so I've heard on y'all's podcast, you mentioned uh, the state of theology, the survey that um, I believe, I believe oh, yeah. Lifeway and Ligonier uh, work together on. Um, pretty frightening, um, the, the results from that. Yeah. Uh, so it seems like in that survey, you see this um, dueling uh, between culture having an issue with the authority of Scripture and, and then um, for those who uh, maybe will agree with or accept authority of Scripture, uh, then applying that to their lives. So submitting to Scripture. Um, thoughts on that survey and, and uh, the state of Bible illiteracy and culture today and and that whole conversation of authority and then what we do with the authority of scripture. Yeah, I guess, you know, I didn't spend a ton of time looking at the survey because it was kind of like, oh, <laughs> it's I depressing. What, what it's going to say. And I need to keep my, my, uh, my optimism and my stamina up just for, for what's going on in my own church. And I actually do kind of think that's the moral of the story is that the place where I'm going to have an impact on that and the place where you're going to have an impact on that. It's not the culture. I actually don't really care what the culture thinks about the authority of scripture Uh, and churches who draw a line on that and then teach according to that are churches that are growing, that are retaining and deepening and growing um, those who are a part of their, their bodies. 
And that really is the answer as we move into a post-Christian culture Mm -hmm. is that you stand with the essentials clasped in your fist. Yeah. Yeah. we're going to move forward. And if people disagree with us, that's fine. But within the walls of this church, these are our basic starting premises and we're going to go from there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, JT and I have talked a lot. He he has helped me to see the beauty of doing theology in the local church in Mm -hmm. particular. It's not that there is no place for seminaries. There will always, I think, be a place for seminaries. But for so many of us, that is not an option due to the various obstacles that life throws between us and that. Uh, And so to have theological training taking place in the local church with the assumption that we are all submitting to the authority of scripture. um, What we see is that um, sure, there are people who are going to wander into those classes because they're just vaguely interested and they may not even have a grasp on the authority of scripture or they may question it. But then the beauty of what is happening in those rooms and the, the, the critical thinking skills that they're developing mm-hmm. and the ability to own this faith instead of just be taking someone's word for it yeah. are so compelling that we then begin, begin to build a lot of energy around it and move forward together. Mm-hmm. So I can't, answer, I can't solve the problem on a broad scale, but if sure. I could solve it in my own church, that's no small thing. This thought just came to mind when you were talking about that. Have you, do you have any stories of people who have wandered into these studies at the village thinking they were saved and uh, getting into the, the study of scripture, uh, realizing that, that they didn't have a, uh, a faith and um, they, they ended up coming to faith through the study of scripture? We do hear that. Yeah. One, actually, one of the women who has been um, uh, one of my volunteer leaders that was her story. Mm. Um, she had come to us from a Catholic background and um, she sat through about three weeks of a semester and said, I don't think I've understood wow. <laughs> what the good news is. Wow. And then she just came this, she was just consumed, you know, with learning the Bible. Wow. And the funny thing is um, I actually feel pretty strongly about this because no one would probably characterize me as an evangelist. But um, because the assumption is when you set up a Bible study that goes line by line through entire books of the Bible, you're assuming the people who are coming at least think they're Christians, right? Right. So it's not like we're offering an invitation at the end of Bible study. Right. And so that has made it even more exhilarating when the word goes forth and returns fruitful. And all we were doing is teaching the text. Yeah. 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 Like all we were doing is a dumb way to say it, but where you're just, you're just saying, Hey guys, this is what it says. And here's the message. And here's how it fits within the bigger story of the whole Bible. And this is how this points to Christ. And someone hears that and comes to saving faith. That is really cool. That is so cool. Yeah. And I, I think Luther said the word did the work and uh, that's not the whole quote, but uh, yeah, just this realization that, uh, that God works through his word. Well, and you know, I, I do say, and I don't want to overstate this point, but I do think that some of the place we find ourselves with the Bible literacy crisis within the church is because we have perhaps emphasized making converts at the expense of making disciples. Mm. There's, a, there's a really good quote out there. I forget who said it, but he said, what if we made disciples and let converts happen instead of making converts and letting disciples happen? And I've, I've wanted to give that attention. I wanted to think about that just to make sure that I don't sell short the work of discipleship just because it maybe doesn't 
play well in the annual report or in the videos that we make, you know, right. where we celebrate things that have happened in the church yeah. and that the work of discipleship is honorable and that it, and that it actually produces converts sometimes when you least expect it. Mm. So the aim of this podcast is to reclaim a biblical view of worship for the church. Um, where do you see the connection between worship and Bible intake? Let me see if I can boil this down. Okay, first, first, let's address the common understanding of worship. So just singing on Sunday morning, right? Right, right. Obviously sells the concept way short. Sure. But um, I think that if there is one area in which the illiteracy of the church is most evident, it is in much of what is being used for worship music today. Yeah. Um, I'll give one example. I remember a song that was popular several years ago that talked about um, God's love as an ocean and the waves washing over us or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a terrible song, but it was enhancing Bible illiteracy because it failed to recognize what a basic knowledge of the Bible would tell you. And that is that the ocean from Genesis to Revelation is a metaphor for chaos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like consistently. Right. And so you see mm. ruling over the ocean, setting its boundaries. You know, you see Jesus walking on the waves yeah. to show that he has authority over them. Mm. And so when we write a song that says God's love is an ocean, mm-hmm. we're adding confusion to what's already something people lack knowledge of. Right. And so it's not that it terrible song, but the way I, I try to articulate this is that everything we say, we sing, we do, everything we do will either illuminate or obscure the character of God. Mm. And so I don't know about you, but if I have a choice between a lyric that might potentially obscure who he is and right. one that might potentially illuminate who he is, I'm going to go with illuminate every single time. Wow. So I would love to see um, our worship lyrics reflect a greater understanding that we're teaching every time we sing. That's so good. I, I wish that I wish that those who are creating worship music understood that they fall under the warning of James three one mm-hmm. that not many should presume to be teachers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's always a teaching element to to worship music. So mm-hmm. yeah, so there's that. And then for just worship as a way of being, yeah. Um, because the Bible is where God discloses who he is to us. And because it is a transcendent view of God that causes us to fall to our knees. Anytime you are placing yourself in front of the beautiful vision that the, that the Bible declares, you are entering into right worship. Mm. And I think that today, because so many of us don't know our Bibles, mm. we in effect are worshiping an unknown God. Mm. Yeah. We know a little about it. But our natural curiosity has never grown to know him more because a thousand other things are tugging at us. Mm. And then on top of that, we, the church, have not given people very simple tools to grant them the access to the Bible that they are worthy of having and capable of having. And so um, that's one of the reasons Bible literacy matters so much to me is because it is something that the average learner can work toward. Yeah. Uh, insofar as he's given you a mind, you can use it to know him. And, um, and 
and I can help. I can give you basic tools so that the Bible is not a mystery to you anymore. It mm-hmm. starts to um, to yield up treasure to you because you're you're treating it according to the way that it's intended to be treated. Thank you. That's that's so helpful. So um, talking about those resources, I want I want to talk a little bit about your writing and uh, what has drawn your attention to the subjects that you've written on. So um, you've done a study on First Peter. Um, you've got a uh, study on Genesis, and so, um, and then some other books that you've written on image, uh, being made in the image of God, and um, and so the list goes on. So, could you tell us what has drawn you to those subjects, and uh, and maybe any other projects that you might have in the works? The the Bible studies are all just a product of my on the ground teaching ministry, and um, they uh, adhere to the method that I talk about in the first book that I wrote, which is Women of the Word. Uh, it's a little bit of a misnomer because it's not like there's a special way that women study the Bible that men don't. But <laughs> right. We do what we must in the culture, subculture we inhabit. Right. So uh, I always tell guys are like, hey, do you know a, a, a similar book to Women of the Word that men can read? And I'm like, oh, just rip the cover off. It's really fine. You know, like, yeah, you won't start. Yeah, you won't start to uh, develop some estrogen problem if you read the book. Okay, but so it's just a basic method. You know, it's just a basic method for um, for reading, for comprehension, and then interpretation and application, and okay. honoring um, historical and, and and cultural context. And and it also asks women to women and men to confront some of the unhelpful patterns we've gotten into with regard to reading the Bible. So women of the word is what I would teach the first day of every semester of Bible study. If I had six hours okay, or so, okay. and of course I don't. So, um, so I got it all into one place. And so that's kind of the, Hey, here is what you should do. And then the Bible studies are, and here is how you can put it into practice. So they're basically just employing the method because I don't assume that just because I've said you should ask better questions of the text and here's how mm-hmm. that you will intuitively begin to do so. So the Bible studies are handholding. So I say things like look something up in the dictionary and paraphrase how you think it's used here in the verse. Um, I'm prompting them with, with better questions instead of just saying, why can't you ask better questions? Mm-hmm. And that's what the studies do. Good. Okay. Uh, but one of the foundational things that I'm, one of the foundational shifts that I'm asking people to make when they read the Bible um, is to begin reading the Bible as a book about God, mm-hmm. which sounds really dumb, right? Like everybody knows the Bible is a book about God. You know that. I know that. You've probably never thought differently. But uh, the reality is, is that even though I would say that more often than not, I was reading the Bible as though it was a book about. Right. Uh, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so uh, asking them to read first, looking for what's true about God, so that they can then properly interpret and and bring about application that that is fitting to the text, and and that is a hard exercise for a lot of people. Yeah. Most of us have a, a an atrophied or underdeveloped vocabulary around the things that are true about God. Mm. Uh, so I decided to write. Um, the books, none like him and in his image to help us develop a more fully developed view of what it means when we say God is omniscient. And not only that, but how understanding God is omniscient changes the way that I think about him and about myself and about how I live. Uh, So what does it mean to be an image bearer and what does it not mean? Uh, So those, those two books explore that in the hope that 
when people then read the Bible, they'll be thinking in different categories than they were before and looking to see what the text is saying is true about God. I'm always thankful when the leadership of our women's ministry comes to me asking for um, guidance in, in picking the next curriculum. And um, this may be a very unpopular thing for me to say, but there's just not that much out there that I trust. Um, and so I have uh, steered them to you. And uh, so I'm always grateful when they ask me um, because I, I do encourage them to look at your material. Um, any thoughts on uh, from you on uh, how to encourage leaders of women's ministry in um, selecting material? What, what things should they look for? Obviously, um, something that's going to be faithful to the scripture, but, but, um, that should be, that should go without saying, but, um, but oftentimes there's just not that much out there. So any, any words of encouragement for the women leaders out there? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I would say that at minimum, be sure that you have a consistent place where women are reading the Bible, uh, reading books of the Bible from start to finish and um, reading repetitively uh, before they come to discuss a portion of the text. The main thing that we need restored to, um, I would say, all, uh, all learning environments in the church, but perhaps particularly environments that are geared toward women, is we need active, dedicated learning environments. Okay. And what I mean by that is that we, they're active in the sense that they require something of the student before the student comes. And so at the village, what we've done is we've come up with a a three-legged stool approach. So the first leg of the stool is personal study time. And that's what I'm writing curriculum for so that they're doing work on their own. Okay. And the kind of curriculum that I would encourage the, the women's ministry leaders to look for is not curriculum that when a woman finishes doing the homework for a particular week, she feels like she got a straight A on, like she got all the answers correct the question should leave her with some dissonance. Like, I'm not sure if I landed right on that or not. And most curricula are not written that way. They are written to reward you simply for sitting down and putting forth effort. And so one of the things that is a, is a besetting problem in women's environments is women are so used to that sort of curriculum Mm -hmm. that when they're faced with something that leaves them with uncertainty, they, they don't like it. Mm -hmm. It takes them a while to get to uh, what I call dwelling in the, I don't know. Okay. Okay. Uh, they They have to rediscover that part of the learning process, which they used to know as a child, like when you're a kid, you remember learning a new thing and how dumb you felt the first time you tried it or, or started trying to learn it, like multiplication or the piano or something like that. Right. And then the more you learned it, the more proficient you became. And that's the way that's the way Bible study is. That's the way a good curriculum will be. It will it will ask more of you and it will it will leave you uh, wondering sometimes. So the first leg is that the second leg is small group discussion time where you gather with a group of your peers and you have a, and this is important, a thought level discussion of the text. Okay. So uh, women tend to gather and have feelings level discussions of the text. And often the resources that they're using are intending for them to have a feelings level discussion of the text. We can't know how to feel about it until we know how to think about it. Mm Yeah. So we need to start with grappling with the meaning and, uh, and by meaning, I mean the meaning the author placed there for us to, to uncover, not what we have assigned to it. 
and, and have some good thought level discussion around it. And, and you have to have leaders who are trained to keep that the focus of the discussion. Otherwise, it will devolve into prayer request time or sharing time. Um, and so that has to be guided. Mm-hmm. And then the last leg on the stool is to, to have teaching. And the teaching time should resolve the ten, any remaining tension that is still there from their personal time and their, their group study time. And, and then the teaching time is strategically placed as the third element because if you place it before the small group time, they will only talk about what was said okay. in the teaching when they yeah. have group time. So okay. you're forcing, in a sense, to discuss what they think versus what the teacher thinks. Most people have grown accustomed to passive learning environments. They want to sit and receive teaching over a passage. They have spent no time in themselves before they got there. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to, to draw them away from. Yeah. Okay. Where they are. What ladies do you um, trust? Do you lean on or are there um, colleagues of yours that, uh, that you yeah. uh, point people toward? Yeah, I'm happy to tell you some of those names. Um, Melissa Kruger writes good things. I keep telling her she needs to write faster because we need more of her stuff out there. (laughs) She has good studies. Um, Kathleen Nielsen has good studies that are out there. Trillia Newbell has a new study coming out over uh, the book of Romans. It's it's mostly over Romans 8, but she does a really good job of integrating, you know, where you are in the book before she takes you into Romans 8. So those are some good things on the horizon. And then um, I think that... uh, we, we have to learn to look beyond the pink section of the mm-hmm. Christian bookstore. The studies that I've used consistently when I wasn't writing my own curriculum are the Life Change series by Navigators. Okay. It's just a, a very uh, accessible, inductive study approach that gives just enough cultural or historical context without making that the focus. You know, it'll give you what you need to answer the questions that you have, but... I would say look for curricula that don't teach in the homework. Like let the homework be a chance to just get you into the text and then let the teaching happen after the student has been forced to think on their own. Okay. I, uh, I think I asked you like a 10 part question a few minutes ago uh, when talking about your writing and, uh, and, and probably uh, in, in bad form uh, load, put too much on your plate. So um what uh, do you have anything? Do you have anything in the in the works that's uh, that's coming up that uh, that we can be looking for? Yeah, I have the the second half of the Genesis study is releasing in January, so I'm really excited to get the rest of that out there. It's Genesis 12 through 50. It's called God of Covenant, and it'll cover Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And then I am going to be releasing a study of Hebrews the following January. So that's already in the works. Okay. And I am going to be writing another book, but I don't know if I'm emotionally prepared <laughs> to disclose it yet. Because if okay. I it allowed, I'll have to actually do it. But yes, there will be another book forthcoming in about a year and a half. Great. Excellent. Well, Jen, thank you and so much. It's not apparent. Wait, clear. <laughs> say that one more time for me. I had a bunch of people heckling me to write a parenting book and I, that is not what it is. So I just okay. want to say it up front. So, that I'll... <laughs> <laughs> so there aren't any raised expectations. Right. <laughs> well, Jen, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us today. I, I greatly appreciate, uh, like I said earlier, your heart and, um, and I'm going to be linking to your podcast in the show notes and uh, to your resources and, 
um, hope uh, ladies who are not familiar with you will will be checking you out and uh, and learning about what all you have to offer their their ministries. So thanks again. Oh, thanks so much, Jason. I appreciate you having me on. Again, I'd like to thank Jen for taking the time to talk with us here at Reclamation Worship. I will be linking to Knowing Faith and to her resources at reclamationworship.com. So swing by and check out her resources. And anywhere that you subscribe to your podcast, you'll be able to find Knowing Faith. So I encourage you to subscribe to that podcast and be encouraged like I have been encouraged by it. So this will conclude Season 1 of Reclamation Worship. Join us in 2019 as we fire up Season 2. Please head on over to iTunes and subscribe to Reclamation Worship if you have not already. Please rate and review and share with your friends. Encourage them to listen to these episodes. And uh, until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.